0: Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hello, everybody. If you haven't already done so, please go to patreon.com indoctrination to become a subscriber, to become a paid supporter of the show. Thank you to everyone who has already supported the show to help keep it going. And my team and I absolutely appreciate it. The rest I pay for out of pocket. And so help out if you can to keep it on the air. It's truly, truly appreciated. Please go to patreon.com slash indoctrination if you get something out of listening to the show. And now for today's guest. We have Ellie on the show today. She is going to be speaking to us today for the first part of a three part episode. She was raised a third generation Christian scientist in Southern California. She left the religion in her late teens and then says she discovered it was a cult in her mid 20s. Her journey of over 10 years has been undoing the restrictive thinking and the false beliefs imprinted in her since birth, and finding out who she is underneath all of it, and she wanted to share it with you. Here's Ellie now. I'm very happy to have Ellie on the show today. She is someone who brings a lot to an important discussion, an important subject. And by bringing a lot, I mean a lot of information and history and personal experiences. And so, you know, being able to speak from her head and also speak from her heart And she has a really nice way of talking about things and phrasing things. So she's going to be talking to us today about Christian science and what it is and what it can create in people's lives and her experiences with it specifically. And we'll expand on all of that. Allie, welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself and say a little bit about you?
1: I was raised in a suburb of LA and I lived there basically my whole childhood until I was a young adult and had graduated college. And so I was raised in that kind of culture, but I was also raised in a family that were pretty strict Christian scientists and they have their own culture. So I was like in a small bubble, but also connected to the outside world. I would say that has a big effect on my experiences because everyone's experiences are a little different. I stopped believing when I was 17 years old I had been a very, very good student of Christian science. I liked reading and I read a lot of the books. I, you know, attended church regularly. I followed all the rules that my parents prescribed up to a point. And then I said, wait a minute, things are different with my friends. Things are different at school. Why do I have to follow these rules and everyone else gets to have more fun? And so I started rebelling in that way from a young age, maybe about seven or eight, when I could really understand the differences. And um, so when I was 17, I was like, I was already like, I want to be out of here. I want to get away. My family is strict in many ways, conservative. And I was reading through these books and I found a statement that contradicted a statement in another book. And I said, wait a minute, this lady, the founder, Mary Baker Eddy, she's supposed to be perfect. She's supposed to have all these words given to her perfectly from God she can't make a mistake and claim she's perfect and that all of these are sent directly from God. I said, oh my goodness, this is the proof I need. So I just quit all of those things, quit going to church, definitely was not getting along with my parents at that time. And then I escaped and went to college and didn't have to deal with them for a while. So at that time, I didn't realize how deep the rabbit hole had gone. I had known that our beliefs were very different, but over the years, I just realized how much I never knew And how much that I was taught was just the opposite of what most people believe or completely false. I would say when I was in college and the end of high school, I was having some medical problems. And when I was in high school, at one point, I told my parents I wanted to see a doctor. And my mother said, well, you can figure out how to get yourself there which is kind of mean because I didn't have a car. I didn't know what insurance was. I had no idea how the whole system worked. So I gave up on that. When I was in college, there was like a student health center and I still didn't know how the whole system worked. I had never been to a doctor, never had my temperature taken, did not have any vaccinations. I think the only medical treatment we had was Band-Aids. Like literally that was it. No Tylenol, no Neosporin. I don't know what else people generally use, like nothing. So I get to college and I go to the doctor and I don't know how to describe anything that's wrong with me. I don't know how to describe pain. I don't know where it is. I don't know anything. And that was like 15 years ago, maybe more than that. It took years to understand how the medical system worked, the names of illnesses, how to explain things to the doctors. God, The first time I went to a doctor, I didn't know I was supposed to come back if it didn't work. I just thought I went and they would heal me and I was good. I was like, oh, that didn't work great. So in that way, I'm saying it's a very different world. It's a a lack of knowledge is really big in Christian science.
0: Wow. Wow. I just wanted to say, I'm writing so much down just about how limited you are in being able to assess issues and know the system and know what's in place to help you. And also when you were saying about pain and where it is and just how to describe things, I could imagine what it might be like to be an adult going into a situation that and others probably where you think I should probably know how to do this by now and it seems that this is easy for the other people around me and I just I'm assuming that those were overwhelming moments or maybe isolating
1: moments that is so true Rachel there are so many of those moments and they still happen in smaller ways I guess I would say confused and frustrated a little bit more because the doctors didn't understand what I didn't understand. I didn't know how to explain it. And people just assumed I knew what was going on. That was that whole assumption there. I didn't know how to explain. I wasn't really talking about, I was raised in a culture, this and that. I would say, oh, I've never been to a doctor. Well, that doesn't explain the whole ideology that was going on there. Christian science kind of teaches their followers to be afraid of doctors, in a sense of, well, they've never been, so the unknown is scary. But they also say that if a Christian scientist tries to use medicine for treatment, it will interfere with healing. In Christian science, praying for healing is supposed to be the best way. So any person that goes to a doctor is kind of like betraying their beliefs and like not a very good Christian scientist. There's a lot of other like beliefs around that fear and kind of rumors or things.
0: You know, I I also wanted to say, it's actually reminding me of, uh, to a lesser degree in terms of seriousness and frustration, the whole idea of you you don't know how to work the system because you haven't been taught. Once you know, then you know. But I remember taking my son for his first haircut. He was already about three. His hair was beautiful and it was getting in his eyes. And he hated the whole experience, even though we tried to make it fun and there was a lollipop involved, but still it didn't matter. And he said afterwards, he said, phew, thank goodness I don't have to do that again. (laughs) And I thought, "Mm, okay, I forgot I forgot that little piece of information. Oh. <laughs> that hair grows back. It's not like cutting a, a doll's hair and you're like, oh, now you're stuck with that hairdo. When you're little, it feels like there's more space made for that. When, when you're older, the whole should comes in. Like, I should know how to do this. I should have learned this. And then who do you ask? You know, who, who do you feel comfortable asking? And that's part of the reason that I think I do this former cult member support group So those kinds of questions can come up. What do you do if something breaks down or some real life thing happens and you feel like at your age, you don't feel comfortable asking someone in the general public because you don't know how they're going to respond. So go back to what you were saying, though, about treatment getting in the way of healing, which is so counterintuitive.
1: Christian scientists believe that everything that is material is not real. Anything material is something you can see with your five senses or touch, taste, smell anything. But there's a spiritual version of it that's like an exact copy, and that's what's real. We can't see it. We just have to believe it's there. In that sense, they believe that our bodies are not real. So we should not pay attention to them. Uh, We don't count age. We deny any physical signs of illness or issues. And the way to pray correctly is along the lines of denying the material beliefs they call them beliefs and knowing what spiritual is true for example if I had a cut on my arm I would pray to think that it wasn't a real cut and it wasn't my real arm and it's just an illusion and my spiritual arm is perfect so I would just maybe put a band-aid on it wash it off put a band-aid and not look at it and repeat that kind of thing over and over in my head The idea of not looking at it is important because if you look at something, it makes you believe it's more true. So you're supposed to like block out anything that could keep you from focusing on the truth. And I would say truth with quotes because it's subjective. That's what they believe is the truth. So there are other things they'll do for praying. They will read the books, the King James Bible, and the Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, which is the main textbook written by Mary Baker Eddy, and the... 500,000 other books written by Mary Baker Eddy. They're not really that many, but there are a lot. There's the Christian Science Journal that was a little more intellectual articles and not as many healings. And the Christian Science Monitor is the newspaper that maybe more people have heard about. It's not mostly religious, although there's probably one column that will talk about these Christian science things. And so for praying, people will focus on the others. They'll also listen to tapes, and I suppose these days CDs and podcasts and audio files of healings and lectures. So they're just supposed to fill their mind with all these good things so they don't think about the bad. So they block it out and so they're not tricked by it. There is a God, there is Jesus, and there's error. Or also called mortal mind or material mind. There's no Satan and no hell, and I'm not really sure what they believe about heaven. It was never made clear to me, to be honest, or what happens after we die. It's kind of vague and fuzzy. They don't believe in death anyway, because we don't really have material bodies, so that kind of makes it a moot point. So um, the idea is that we're perfect spiritual children of God, but this error tries to trick us into thinking that things are wrong with us. And that's what we have to fight against. We have to block out errors, suggestions, and focus on what's true. In those senses, going to a doctor completely counters their beliefs because the doctor is going to ask you what's wrong with you, tell you what's wrong with you, look at your body, give diagnosis and medication. So if you can see those are very opposite of each other.
0: Right. Very much so. And I I wanted to go back to something you were saying about looking at something makes it real. And I think about things that are taken to an extreme and that sometimes it has a basis in reality. There have been studies about when people don't know that they're bleeding, they don't know they have a cut, they don't know that they have a bruise. And when they do see it, when they notice it, that's when other chemicals are released in their system and the pain registers more and the worry, just the the visuals also can impact our mood and shift us. And so it becomes this denial of things or not really noticing them that can make you n- not have the pain really register. Of course, then the problem is if you have a cut and you don't know about it and you don't look at it, you won't be able to tell if it's getting infected and if there's something else you need to do. So that's that's handicapping. But it is it's a very interesting thing, out of sight, out of mind. And that, you know, that doesn't work medically, but it can be helpful emotionally. So I sort of see maybe where there's a basis for this, but that it goes beyond, I think, good reason at some point.
1: I don't know if you've heard the experiment where a person who has an amputation and has a lot of pain in their arm, they put a mirror and show the other hand and it they feel like their fist is clenching in the amputated hand. They show the other hand in the mirror releasing and suddenly the pain in the amputated arm is gone because the brain sees the signal.
0: That is fascinating to me. (laughs) Truly fascinating. I'm going to look that up. It is incredible what the mind does. And I also love that that got figured out. I feel like that was probably from a patient looking in the mirror and realizing that it kind of undid the the pain that was registering. But how fascinating.
1: This is like a new fascination of mine because of my history. Like Like you mentioned, if a person isn't thinking about something, they're not anxious and worrying about it, they're not focusing on it, that's part of the good side of the Christian science beliefs is avoiding that. At the same time, like you said, if they're not looking at it, they don't know what's going on, and it can get worse. And there are some things that don't get better if you ignore them, like if you break a bone and walk on it, that isn't going to get better. There are some conditions, like diabetes, which people have died from, that if they're not treated, they can be fatal, and those kinds of things. That's where it goes to an extreme. Even that happened to me once. I had fallen on some, I think it was scissors or some kind of sharp tool. I didn't know it was there, and it cut into my leg, and I just felt like a jab, and I was still playing. This was, I was a kid, and then I looked down because I felt something wet, and I see this blood running down my leg, and then it was like, ah, I'm crying, and I'm in pain, and was so bizarre how long it took
0: wow that is incredible i think i think what's also so fascinating too is that what you're doing or studying or reading is supposed to fix things and then when it doesn't what that means or what that means about you i think typically right
1: i would say starting from young children people are indoctrinated with these ideas Even young, they are taught prayers, they're listening to tapes and hymns also, songs and things about it. And the idea is that if you're not able to heal yourself, you're not a good Christian scientist. You're not spiritual enough, you're not praying hard enough, because if you were, you would know that you were perfect and you would be healed. So there's a lot of guilt and shame and blame going on when a person is not able to heal themselves quickly or at all, and that plays into the denial Another interesting piece is this goes beyond just the physical situations. It also goes into if something bad happens to you. If you get fired from a job or if you get in trouble or any kinds of things, the idea is that if you were spiritual enough, it wouldn't have happened. So then there's like, oh, why didn't I listen to God? Why didn't I listen to that little voice that told me not to go on that path where I tripped? And that goes into the part where a lot of Christian scientists will pray for guidance before making a decision almost to the point of being paralyzed they're waiting for an answer from god i don't really know where these answers come from but they're definitely believe that god told them and god gave them the answers
0: okay and how does and i i don't mean to go on my own tangent here because i really do want, you, want us to be able to circle back but when you say that god gives them the answers how does god speak to people in christian science
1: usually in their minds sometimes out loud but the out loud ones are special they're like rare
0: And the out loud ones, meaning someone said they heard God's voice?
1: Right. Someone will say, there are these testimonies where people talk about healings and they'll write them down or they'll share them in a church meeting or tell them on a recording. And sometimes they'll say like, I heard a voice saying, don't go that way. But generally it will be in the mind. Those hearing the voices are like special moments.
0: I I hear your words of everything that's material is not real and bodies are not real. That's still reverberating in my mind because that takes a while to figure out about and how that where that idea came from and how that impacts you and wow that would change a lot of things in terms of perception
1: it's such a different way of believing anything about the world it changes so much so much i would say there's a lot of denial of physical needs and emotions get in there also that's a fun one can go into that later and just a lot of um Like not wanting to know about the body and not being aware about the body. Sometimes a big lack of common sense. (laughs) Well, like I would say I was raised with the belief that since I'm a child of God and I pray nothing bad can happen to me. That's a weird one. So getting into all kinds of scrapes and situations where maybe like I climbed a tree way too high and couldn't figure out how to get down, but I would be fine. Or um, like just those kinds of like adventurous things where some people be like, oh, this is dangerous. Like I'll be fine, God will protect me. And overall I was, that was a funny part, but maybe that had nothing to do with it.
0: Just going back to the common sense for a moment, there are a lot of people who talk to me about that, that it's hard for them just to make decisions and to do something that feels logical because they're kind of lost in their thinking around it. And they're training about praying about it or waiting for a sign or finding out or trying to decipher the meaning behind it and not then being able to act on it. It can get very heady and needlessly so, you know, having a hard time just making a spontaneous decision, I think, too, and being able to see things also with common sense. So, how has that played out specifically from your life or the things that you've seen? Where has your upbringing gotten in the way of common sense?
1: Starting with the basic idea that not everyone is a good person. We're taught to believe that everyone else is a perfect child of God and spiritual and that we should love all of them. And turning the other cheek. Now, let me tell you how well that works in modern society. Do you think it works well? Uh-uh, uh-huh, nope. Because if you're that person, everyone else is like, hey, I can walk on her, I can step on her, I can take advantage. Not everyone, plenty of people. That did not work very well. Dating did not work very well for various reasons. Recently, I found out what bleach is used for. I never saw anyone use bleach. I never used bleach. And that's because they don't believe in germs. So there's no need to kill the germs if there's no germs.
0: Wow, they don't believe in germs. Interesting. And this is where the and hopefully we'll be able to talk about this, but this is where the term Christian science starts to feel ironic, right? <laughs> you know, under a microscope, you can see them. So I'm just wondering about, Clearly, as you're talking, I'm getting a sense that there's a different definition to the word science in Christian science.
1: It's not Christian and it's not science. It's neither. But I think the founder picked two words that had good connotations and stuck them together and said, hey, this sounds good. So she was raised like Protestant, Calvinist, and borrowed all of those Christian terms to make it a religion, I would say, and gave them new definitions and new meanings. And why did she call it science? I'm not really sure about that part, but I think she said that she had discovered a divine science that would heal people. So she saw this as like um, a discovery of like a set of rules, like it was her own kind of science. This is in the late 1800s. I mean, science wasn't really that advanced, medicine wasn't very advanced, and medicine could kill you just as well as it could make you better, like leeches and bloodletting and arsenic and whatnot. So I think at the time, you know, people were like, yeah, it seems kind of scientific. Sure. She got some of her principles from the Danta, and also from this guy she married for a while who is a mesmerist and hypnotist. And she claimed she didn't borrow anything from him, of course. Um, he was an ex-husband. It's very odd that way. I don't know. I would just say she was a little bit crazy and um came up with reasons and justifications for all of it and convinced people to believe her.
0: Wow, interesting. you know, when I bring up about science and it's a sciencey thing, I don't mean to make fun. I think about how science was in its you know infancy in terms of medical treatments and you know, a lot of the things that, uh, that were given to people that are just, um, well, that are really nothing. <laughs> and, and a lot of the snake oil salesmen who could take their wagon somewhere and sell things that were also kind of nothing or had cocaine in them, which seemed to be a big treatment for everything. So interesting. <laughs> so I think it was probably the definition of science at the time or that it could maybe take the place of it.
1: And so many people at the time were doing that also. They'd come up with their magic remedy, which like you said, would have cocaine or morphine or latinum or something in it and go around in their cars and selling snake oil. I don't know how she came up with the idea to make it a religion. It was genius because religions have like almost carte blanche to say and do whatever they want without taxes or government interference. And the government usually won't step in unless they cheat on their taxes. There's a financial scandal or some kind of lawsuit comes up. So other than that, they're pretty much doing their own thing with no tax They can raise money, tell people what to do. And the reason I say it's not Christian, and this this is an example of something I didn't know. I didn't know until last year what Christians believe. I knew basic things. They believe in God and Jesus. And I just found out this thing called the Holy Trinity, which I didn't know about. There's God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost or something, right? I was like, what is this Holy Ghost? I don't know. I have no idea why is it a ghost? Do Christians believe in ghosts? I don't think we believe in ghosts. I don't know. So, <laughs> so there's a lot that's different. And, um, the way she explained it, the way Mary Vicarani explained it was that Jesus was like God come to earth to show us the way, but he wasn't a real person either because none of us are real. He was like a spiritual version of a person. And, um, I think the story is that he ascended. So that was the idea that Jesus didn't really die but he appeared to die his material body appeared to die and then he ascended and that's the goal that is the goal of christian scientists is to ascend when they die or instead of dying and uh no one's close enough to jesus to do that i think mary baker already actually died she didn't ascend i'm not sure what her excuse was for that i guess she was dead at that point so she didn't have any excuses to make (laughs) but um, i'm sure the church came up with some They don't really believe that Jesus died on the cross because it was just his material body. And um, Mary Baker Eddy makes this like analogy to how it's like a metaphysical mental concept and not a natural cross. They don't believe in sin. They don't believe that Jesus died for our sins to save us. Jesus didn't save anyone. I haven't read the books for a long time, but this is what I remember that I was taught. Again, everyone's a little different because in their own families, parents might focus on this or that. In some churches, there might be focus on this or that, but this is the general idea. And I, I feel like parents kind of make up things to fill in the gaps or like use what they were taught by their parents and they're, they're not really sure, you know, exactly how something works to kind of do their own interpretation. Yeah, God is not a man in the sky. I don't know what God is. It's like a concept. It's like an invisible concept, thing. you So when people pray, they don't imagine anything they're praying to. And God doesn't have like human compassion and God isn't angry and all those other things that I think I've heard Christian people say. It's very different, and there's no devil. I can't say what else exactly isn't Christian, because I don't really know what Christianity is, but I just know there's differences. Oh, they don't do communion. They don't do baptizing.
0: Right. So here, being raised Christian, but not knowing about what a lot of people know about who are raised Christian, it's another thing where you think, who do I ask? How do I find this out? It gives me this sense that when you're raised that way and then you go into the world, you can spend a lot of time playing catch-up and trying to get up-to-date and informed and in figuring out how to do that.
1: Now you can add pop culture to that. We couldn't watch TV shows. And they like chose which books we were in weren't allowed to read, you know, from the library or if we bought a book. Did not let us watch movies. I think I watched three movies before I was 13 and I was able to go to movies with friends and watch movies at their houses. Was very censored, so there's like an entire time period of music that I've never heard, and lots of movies I've never seen, and lots of pop culture references I don't know. Famous actors' names, musicians' names. People think I'm lying when I tell them I've never heard of these things. No, just pretend I was raised on another planet or in another country. It's actually true.
0: So then you were saying that there was a lot of history before when we were talking about sort of the origins. Was there more about the history before we kind of move into more about your particular experiences?
1: One of the big stories is that Mary Baker Eddy slipped and fell on the ice and was very sick and almost died. And she was, I think, in bed praying for three days and then she healed herself. And that's when this Christian science was revealed to her from God. Now, the interesting part about that is that there are more than one date that she stated she slipped and fell in her writings. So the dates don't line up. The second interesting part is that she sued for injury from falling, <laughs> um, although she claimed she was healed. Yeah, the truth is hidden. It's definitely hidden. She was very popular around that time, probably because medicine wasn't much better than doing nothing in a lot of cases. There have been a lot of lawsuits against Christian scientists and against the church sometimes for um, deaths for children dying because of a lack of medical care. There's a few famous cases I don't think they've won any of the cases, something to do with religious freedoms and beliefs, but there have been children who died like of diabetes that was untreated. There was a famous case of a maybe one or two-year-old who had meningitis. The parents were told to pray for healing and not to take him to the doctor. Then at the very last minute, I guess the practitioner, which is a person who prays for healing, said, yeah, maybe you should take him to the doctor. The kid's not doing so good. And he died and was diagnosed, right? So... The interesting thing is if a person isn't diagnosed, nobody knows why they die. So in a few cases, they do know. And then the parents are like, oh, my gosh, why did our kid die? Why did you tell us not to take him to the doctor? And the doctor said he could have been saved if he brought them in earlier and that kind of thing. So that was a big case. That was in the news when I was a kid, I think, and a couple others. Mm, that still happens these days. There's um, some religious exemptions to medical treatment laws, like in California and other places, that kind of protect Christian scientists and other fake healing beliefs from being sued for these situations.
0: You know, I wonder also uh, about people who, in those kinds of situations, when uh, you have a child that gets very sick or a child that dies, which is just unspeakably torturous, I have a feeling that for some people, it tests their faith too much. And that becomes the thing that makes them say, I can't I can't do this anymore or this, this isn't right. This is, this got in the way of us being able to save our child and other people probably who, where it doesn't test their faith, where they go along with the idea that there was probably a reason. And so I, I wonder if when growing up, when you would see things happen in families, if you saw both of those kinds of reactions.
1: Yes, I did. I have seen both
0: of those. Right. And I'm sure for a lot of people, it's probably hard to understand why if your child is kept from a certain kind of medical care or any loved one, and then they die, that you stay in that system. And so what would be the reason that someone would go through something like that, from your perspective, go through something like that, where things could have been fixed or cured or prevented, and even after they go through tragedy, they stay there?
1: I think there are many reasons. And one that I will bring up is that a lot of people die and have never been to a doctor. They die at home, they've not been diagnosed. There's no doctor that comes in and said, oh, you had XYZ illness and you could have been saved. So the person dies, the family doesn't know the cause of death. I guess there's an autopsy and they tell the family and maybe the family doesn't even know what it is. They've never learned the names of different medical conditions. They don't know if it's curable or not and they deny it. They don't want to know it. They don't want to believe it. So in that case, it doesn't, it would not make any sense for them to think that the person could have been saved. If they do go to the doctor, and the people that have the strongest beliefs are not even going to get near the doctor most of the time, I would say. The people that are open to that are, again, more of the ones that would be considering another option. If a person's faith is so strong, that like they believe in 100%, and that's the only world they've known. That's the world they grew up in. They've never had their own exposure to doctors, and they believe everything they've been told. For some people, they have to stay with what they know because the unknown is just so unknown.
0: One more thing before you go. Thank you so much to Ellie. And again, this is the first part of what became a three part episode. And then clearly, this is just the beginning. There's something that Ellie talked about that I want to be able to go back to because it is so significant and it is so common. When she said that she didn't go to a doctor for a while, and even when she did, she didn't know how to talk about what was wrong with her, kind of the language of pain, she said, or the language of any kind of symptom picture. There was also the fear, as she was taught, that if you talk about it or think about it, you're going to be creating it or making it worse, which in general life isn't the case. Yes, there are people who think too much about things, and yes, there are people who over-worry, but being able to address what's wrong And then being able to go to a specialist, see a doctor about it, go to a therapist about it actually helps you. It helps you be able to get the help that you're needing and hopefully be able to get some relief. What happens a lot with people who were raised in environments where there was a very strict teaching about what you were supposed to talk about and what you weren't, and also what you were supposed to be feeling and what you weren't. You get disengaged not only from yourself and your own symptoms, but from the vocabulary needed to describe it and the vocabulary needed to understand why you're having certain symptoms. Meaning, if you think that your headache is a message from God, you're not going to take medication for it. You're going to pray. And you might not call it a headache because you might not know that that's what it is. And you might then not learn what causes one. And it could be from something as simple as a food allergy or that you clench your teeth at night. And it's not necessarily a sign from on high. Many people who work with those who are in restrictive environments who were raised in them, when they ask the question, and I'm saying this having learned this myself firsthand early on in my career, when they ask the question, you know, well, maybe the reason that you're having these nightmares or a very quick trigger response to a loud noise or being touched is because you went through some abuse. Were you ever abused? There are many people who will say no, but they were abused. They just don't know it. Because it wasn't called that, and they had no frame of reference for it. They didn't know this is something you go to the police for. They didn't know that there was a child protective service agency that could potentially help. They didn't know that the way they were being treated was considered wrong according to the law, because it was either what they deserved, or it was a form of a correction for them, or it was. Sometimes complimentary, that the leader really saw you and your potential and was kind of giving you a harder time because they saw really that you could have a leadership position there. And so they were craning you harder. Same thing with sexual abuse. If you raised without boundary, what's considered abuse? I know that when I spoke with someone who was in his teen years, you could tell that he'd never been to a dentist. And he had different conditions. He had a backache that he had never been treated for. He had uh, no arches and flat feet. So his knees rubbed together. These are all the things that a pediatrician would check out early on. And these are all things a dentist would check on early on. But I remember saying to him again early in my career, do you feel that you were neglected? And he said no, because he didn't know that that is what happened. And so how do you define things? How do you know that you've been abused if you don't know what it is? And you also don't know it's wrong. And you also can believe that it wasn't your fault. And how do you know that you've been mistreated? And how do you know that you've been neglected? And the reason it's important is not only to be able to get the help you need, because when you sit down with a doctor, Just as Ellie talked about, and you finally push through your fear of going there, but then you don't have a way to describe what's wrong and where it's hurting and how much it's hurting. It puts you both at a disadvantage. And so the other part that's important is for people to not think they're going crazy, for people to know that the symptoms they're having are directly correlated to their experiences of abuse or neglect or anything else really. And so if they're having recurring nightmares, it's not a punishment and it's not a weakness. It's your mind processing something that's happened that was beyond what your system could take or something that you witnessed that was so terrifying or disturbing but that you weren't allowed to have your feelings about it in real time or talk to anyone about it. That happens for many people in these kinds of groups where they really do have to witness quite a lot and they have to participate in neglect, in not being able to go to help a friend or a family member who is being mistreated. That also can create its own trauma. So part of the reason that I do this show and part of the reason I do this counseling is for people to be able to know to a much better degree what happened to them so they can say it, they can get the help they need, they can honor it, they can define it so it never happens again. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination be sure to give us a follow on our social media find us on Facebook and Instagram using at indoctrinationpodcast and for Twitter find us at, at underscore indoctrination we love hearing from you too so send us an email at indoctrinationshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com and for more updates on the show visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.